Well, this morning we will go ahead and continue on in our study through the Gospel of Matthew, and we come now to Matthew chapter 18, so you can go ahead and open up your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 18. And again, if you're new with us today via the internet, via these teachings or something, you can find all of our teachings in various ways throughout the internet. Uh, primarily through our website, which is www.aloveoutreach.com. Also, you can find us on soundcloud.com and on iTunes by searching for A Love Outreach. And if you feel so led, you can subscribe to us there. We also can be found on Facebook and Instagram as well, uh, though we really do not have much of a presence there at the moment, but you can search A Love Outreach to find us there as well. But with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump into Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, as we read this question, as we read it at face value, to me it really is a great question. You see, As we've talked about before, Jesus has ushered in something new, a a new kingdom in which he is king, a new way of life in which the Bible says the old has passed away and all things have become new. This is what Jesus has brought in. This is what Jesus is teaching. And this is the way of life in which a person comes to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of of God, and they come there through faith today in Jesus Christ. When a person repents of their life of sin and they come to faith in Jesus, they're coming to a new life, a new beginning. They are coming into the kingdom in which Jesus will now lead them and rule their lives by His Spirit. And of course, after this life is over, the person of faith that has stayed the course of faith will be in the kingdom of heaven with the Lord for all eternity, in which Jesus is forever king, king of kings and Lord of lords, right? But we see with these disciples that they still had questions, and that's okay. There was still a whole lot for them to learn about the kingdom of heaven. There was still a whole lot for them to learn about who Jesus was and what Jesus' desire is for their lives. Often you'll see pictures of the disciples, you know, in paintings or whatever with halos painted over their heads. But that's not who they were. They were ordinary men, people just like you and me. And they had questions and they were all learning something new. Right? And these disciples, though, they had followed, they had decided to follow Jesus, to turn their backs on their flesh-led, their self serving life, and in the kingdom of God, they are now being trained to die to themselves and to follow their King Jesus, to take this new way of life. And this is what the Word of God teaches for you and I as well, right? This is the way of true Christianity, a true born-again believer even today that follows in Jesus that follows Jesus in this same way. And again, this was the way that the disciples of Jesus, again, they're learning this. So they're asking these questions, right? And they're really just asking here, what must we do, do 
to be great in the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. There's things in this world that people will tell you and what to do to be great in this world, how to prosper, how to be great, how to be famous. And there's, there's examples all around via the television and movie stars and all that kind of stuff of what this world would consider greatness and what you should strive to be like. But that's not what Jesus was teaching. Okay, So this is something new. So they're asking this question, what must we do to be great? in the kingdom of heaven, right? We don't want to settle for less. We want the best of the kingdom of heaven. And this is a question that all of us who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ today, we should be seeking to know the answer in our hearts and in our minds to this question as well. Not what does this world have for me, not what can I gain in this world, but what does my Lord want from me? What does Jesus want for my life? And Jesus will now go on to give the answer to that question via a teaching. He's going to teach them. And in verse 2, then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them. So this is Jesus going to use an example, an analogy with them. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what was the answer to the question? They asked the question, what, what must we do to be the greatest, right? And, or who would be the greatest? And Jesus said, the answer is humility. The answer is to humble yourself, right? That's how to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It is the key characteristic that Jesus wants of his disciples, Okay, Jesus will go ahead and expound on this teaching even further here in verse five. He says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, Let's not lose the focus here, right? The focus is on the question that the disciples asked Jesus. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What are the characteristics of a true child of God? Jesus tells them that the answer is humility and then tells them that the children of God, those that come to God through faith in Jesus, are of the utmost importance. Woe to those that would do harm to the humble servants of the kingdom of God. Woe to those that would do harm to the children of God. Jesus continues teaching his disciples in verse 7, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So we see that the disciples of Jesus there you know, for them, they were being taught by Jesus, first of all, that there will be troubled times. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, right? They will be offended. We will be offended. They will be persecuted. If you're standing for Jesus and you're standing for righteousness and the things of the word of God, you will be persecuted in this world. And not only will they be offended as they serve in his kingdom, but he wants them to remain without offense themselves. And while being a humble servant of his, they must walk in a manner 
that displays the greatest quality of a servant, which again is humility. To be humble means that word there in the Greek is a word that means to be plain, to not draw attention to yourself, to not be loud, right? And, and, and you know, arrogant and such, right? Speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, Isaiah 42, 2 and 3 says that he will not cry out nor raise his voice. This was speaking of Jesus. It was a prophecy pointing to the Messiah, Jesus. It said, He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. You see, Jesus was the perfect example of humility, never drawing attention to himself. That wasn't what he came here to do. He didn't come here to, for fame. They wanted him to be king. They wanted him to be their political king when he was here. When they saw all the power that he had, when they saw the miracles he could do, they wanted him to be king, right? But that wasn't why he came. And we'll, find, we'll talk a little bit later about why he did come, right? But when he walked on the earth, right, he was humble. And that's the way he wants his disciples to be. And as a part of humility in being Christ-like. He wants his disciples to take sin seriously. And we're about to get in that to that here in the Word of God in just a moment. We're going to take sin seriously in our lives. That is to be dedicated to, to walk not only in humility, but also to walk in purity, in godliness, and in holiness. And in verse 8, he gives them this stern analogy, this stern teaching. Think about it here as we read it in verse 8. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And it says in verse 9, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So there's the reason that Jesus came. He didn't come to draw attention to himself. He wasn't all about himself, right? He was humble, right? So, but here a very serious task has been set before the disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we read this word today here in Matthew chapter 18, that task has been set before us as well. You see, our sin des- deserves swift and harsh justice, right? We can't sweep sin under the rug in our lives. We can't just say, oh, no big deal, and keep moving on. The entire purpose of Jesus coming into the world was to save that which was lost. And until this very day, many souls are lost without the Savior, Jesus the Messiah. The disciples of Jesus then and the disciples of Jesus now are to, as I've already stated, remain humble, pure, innocent, 
and to take sin seriously, right? To not allow sin to reign or to have place in our lives. Romans 6, 11 and 12 says that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead. Listen to this, it's important. Romans 6, 11 and 12. We are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus our Lord. And we are to not let sin reign, it says, in our mortal bodies, that we should obey it in its lust. So Jesus was teaching his disciples here in the word of God in Matthew chapter 18 to take sin seriously and don't offend others. Okay, and remain without offense yourself. And he's going to teach them a little bit later here in this chapter how to handle situations when people offend you. Right? But when we do this, we are then in a position to reach out to, to the souls of men and women and children with the gospel. The gospel is not just for the aged. Right, The truth must be taught to the young and to the old and to all those in between. A disciple of Jesus should always fight against sin and take sin so seriously that rather than to fall into sin, they would from within their hearts, they would rather be maimed or lame. In other words, that's how serious they, seriously they take what Jesus wants for their lives, the teaching of the Lord. In Jesus' teachings here, he is stressing to his disciples that the person that truly humbles themselves in the sight of the Lord is a person which does not attract attention to themselves, right? Humility, the greatest character. And then they they do not live by their own fleshly desires either. The truly humble person considers others as better than himself or herself, and treats all people, whether young or old, as if they are souls in need of a Savior. Remember, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God is looking at the heart, and as we live this life, that's what He wants us to do as well, to look at the hearts of people. Yes, people will offend you from time to time, and they may say all kind of things bad about you, But if you are caring about their soul, then you will remain humble and you will remain without sin in the way that you live and in the way that you react to their behavior. Remember, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives who gives us self-control, the Bible teaches, temperance. So there's no excuse for us when we fly off the handle or attack back at other people. Because if we're yielding to the Holy Spirit and living a life that is led by the Holy Spirit, we won't do that. So do you see, do you get the picture here what Jesus is teaching? He cares about the souls of all people. And and he wants the disciples to take it as of the utmost importance. Continuing his focus on the lost souls, here Jesus goes on in verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven 
that one of these little ones should perish. Remember, he still has a child sitting on his lap there in front of them as he's teaching them all this. Okay? But he's teaching them to care for the souls of people and to care for their own souls enough that they don't allow themselves to be led by sin. Right? Look at how Jesus uses the example, though, in this back there in verse 12, right? To talk about going to the mountain, meaning that a man would go to the highest of heights to find the lost sheep. And this is the way of Jesus. This is how he cares for lost souls. He will go to the greatest of heights. And he went to the greatest of lengths, of course, to reach out to lost souls. But he wants us as his disciples, as his followers, to be examples to others around us so that souls will be saved, right? And his disciples, as his disciples, we should take the salvation of the lost very serious. Don't do anything that would cause a lost soul to stumble or to remain lost. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, meaning he went to the greatest of lengths that there is to go to. And the disciples of Jesus then and now, we need to take it that seriously as well, like I said. So let's look at this some more here because this is a really important teaching here in this section of the scriptures. And the Gospel of of Luke expounds on this same teaching of Jesus a little more than what we're reading here. So let's just quickly mark this page and then turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Of course, we're in Matthew Right now, we go Mark, then Luke. Luke chapter 15, I want you to find. Again, this is going to be the same teaching, but Luke gives us a little more detail on what Jesus had said there in this teaching. So Luke chapter 15, and we'll look down and start reading at verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, it says, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost, or which I lost." Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So do you see just how much God wants every soul to be saved? Do you see what Jesus is teaching here? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of repentance and salvation needs to be put out to everyone around you and me. And it's important how we live our lives on a daily basis. And we must live in such a manner 
that people are drawn to what we have. They look at the lives that we live and they want to know, how can they have it too? How can I have this peace that you have? What is this that you have? How can I have this? Well, we have Jesus in our hearts and we need to live in such a way that people around us see this fact. Even if they offend us, and that's what Jesus is teaching here too. Even if they offend us, we must remain without offense ourselves. Can we do this? Yes, by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we yield to Him, right, we must humble ourselves and not seek to be great in the kingdom of this world, great in the minds of others, but rather to be great in the kingdom of God through humility, through obedience, and through Christ-like living. Go ahead and flip back to Matthew chapter 18. And we'll pick it up in verse 15. Jesus continues teaching His disciples here. And he says in verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, so Jesus has gone deeper here with them on this teaching, right? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now in our flesh, we don't want to do that. But by the Spirit, when we obey the teaching of Jesus, we want to do this, right? This is the godly thing to do. It's the most simplistic thing to do as well, right? When, when you have a problem with someone, go straight to that one that you think has offended you and try to talk it out with them. No one else even needs to know that you are doing this. This is humility. Now look, it, it's true, right, that some people have a pattern of life in which they constantly offend others. They seem to be repetitiously divisive, always out to do wrong, right? And with them, you may need to deal with them in a more Romans 16, 17 manner, which says that we are to note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned and avoid them, right? These are people that have a reputation of tearing others down, and always looking out for their self-interest, right? Some people are just that way. They don't know, and they may not know the Lord at all, but you need to still look at their soul and care for them, right? But we need to be discerning of these kind of people, right? And they may be people that even profess faith in Jesus Christ, and there are even some of these people that are in the pulpits today teaching and preaching, but yet they're divisive, but in many cases, through humbly approaching a brother or a sister in Christ, you may be able to diffuse the problem before it explodes. And this is the way that Jesus wants us to be. This is what he's teaching here. Then in verse 16, he says, But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. You see, unfortunately, it gets to the point with some people that no matter what length you go to to make things right, they just refuse 
to repent of their behavior and to change. And then it becomes a situation where you have to treat them like they're an unbeliever because they're unwilling to repent and to humble themselves. They're behaving like an unbeliever within the body of Christ, right? You've got to walk away from this kind of person. I see many people today, though, love to exalt themselves or to be exalted by others, and they put themselves in positions, at least in their own minds, where they are above everyone else, or they think they are, and they just won't listen to anyone, no matter what length you go to. But the thing to see here in these verses is that Jesus is teaching his disciples here that things can be kept under control. And, and as much as it relies upon you, we are to, to live in peace with all men, right? There are ways that we can handle things on our own amongst ourselves and not making a public spectacle of each other or not just going home and backbiting and gossiping about people. Jesus goes to the greatest of length because he looks at the souls of people. And he wants us to go to the greatest of lengths because we look at the souls of people and we care about them for who they are. And he goes on and says in verse 18, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, things can be within our own control. We can handle situations. And he's wanting his disciples to be humble, to be mature enough to take care of things on their own. Again, I say to you in verse 19 that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. You see, so Jesus loves unity and he's teaching unity here amongst the body of Christ. And he wants people to agree, right? Be humble, be willing to yield, be willing to come into agreement with one another. If you want to keep a problem all bound up, keep a situation tense and, and problematic, right? You can do so. But if you want to loosen it up, right? Diffuse the tension of a problem, then you can do so as well. And again, there are times when you go to the greatest of lengths, but the problem can't be solved because one of the parties refuses to humble themselves and they want to keep it all tense. They want to keep it all bound up with no solution being reached. Some people just want to live that way. But again, this should not be us. This should not be the disciple of Jesus because this, that kind of thing happens as a result of non-humility, if you will, hardness of heart, not being humble. And Jesus said to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must humble yourself. And there are times when we go through situations, we go through circumstances in life with people, and we need wisdom. We need wisdom for the situation. And you know what? All we have to do is to pray for that wisdom. Because James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Then it also says in the book of James chapter 3 and verse 17 that the wisdom that is from above is first pure. In other words, this is how you know it's from God. 
You've prayed to God for wisdom. How can you know that God's given you this wisdom? Well, God's not going to tell you to go over there and slap that person upside the head, right? Because the wisdom that is from God is peaceable. It's gentle. It's pure. It's willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's in James 3.17. And the thing that stands out to me the most there is willing to yield. Willing to yield. You know what, when, when we yield on the freeway or on the highway, right? We're, we're at, you go. You go ahead. And, and, and in dealing with situations with people, the Spirit of the Lord and God can give us wisdom to do so, we need to be willing to yield. Okay. I, I'll walk away. I'm moving on. You refuse to change. You keep going in the same direction. You're still causing problems. You're doing all this. I've tried this to handle this with you in every way that I can, in a peaceable manner. We've, we've done everything we should do to, to, to get this worked out, but nothing's happening here. I'm willing to yield. Goodbye. And then we just move on, right? And this is what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 18, that in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is now and presently he's our king, we are to be humble, peace-seeking, soul-saving people with Christ in us. We're not to be out to build our own kingdoms, not out to get our own ways, to fight for our own rights, not out to seek our own glory, to get our pound of flesh from the one who offends us, to get back at them. Souls are, again, to be our focus. That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. But it starts with our own soul being right. And us making sure that we are laying aside the sin that so easily besets us, that behavior. We got to look within our own hearts and say, what is it about me, Lord, that you would change? And that's why we read the word of God like this, because he tells us how he wants us to be. He tells us how he wants us to live. Let's read on in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. See, Peter, he's asking this question, and this is just revealing our hearts as well, right? We're like, oh, okay, Lord, you want me to forgive, but how much is too much? Seven times? Right? He's just trying to understand. What do I need to do here? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Okay, 70 times seven. Remember Jesus said that he would go to the greatest of length to find a lost sheep, go to the mountains, the highest of heights. Jesus is teaching these disciples to, he's he's showing them now how deep their humility needs to be. This is how deep it needs to be. No, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Therefore, verse 23 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus is now going to teach them even more here, right? And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commended that he be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. 
The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. He did the same thing the other guy just did, right? And he would not. See, this man's heart wasn't changed, right? He would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Just as I had pity on you, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So I just read a lot of verses to you there in order to keep the proper context here in the teaching. Because Jesus back there in verse 22, he tells people, or tells Peter, excuse me, that he must forgive his brother 70 times 7. That's the context here. Right? But we see in verse 35 the words from his heart. This is what matters to Jesus, and this is what he's getting at. What about your heart? What's in your heart, Peter? It's not about how many times somebody's offending you. It's about who you are in your heart. How humble are you? You need to be willing to yield, right? What's going on in your heart? Are you hating your brother because of his or your actions or your sister, another person because of their actions toward you? Do you have hatred in your heart for them? The Lord doesn't want us to have that hate in our heart. Go ahead and turn all the way toward the back of your Bibles and find 1 John chapter 2. I want to show you some scriptures that just reinforce what I just said to you. The Lord doesn't want us to have hate in in our hearts. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 9. It says, he who says, in, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. You see, hate, like love, is a matter of the heart. If you have hate in your heart towards someone that's, that, you know, that's around you, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And therefore that hate causes you to remain in darkness rather than be in the light of the Lord. Look down at verse 11 here. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see, hate will blind your eyes. 
Hate will keep you from prospering, going forward, progressing, moving forward. Because you're all bound up with hate within you about something. And you're not moving on in what the Lord has for you to do. Right? And so John is emphasizing the same point here, isn't he? Now look up one chapter to chapter 4 of 1 John here. So we'll stay in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Remember, Jesus is saying back in Matthew chapter 18 that forgiveness needs to be a matter of the heart. You see, you can forgive someone from your own heart and not hate them, even if the circumstances are such that you have to avoid them and to move on from them because they keep repetitiously sinning against you and their behavior is spiteful. doesn't mean you have to hate them in your heart. You just have to move on. Remember, Jesus says there comes that time when you have to consider the unrepentant person as a heathen, like an unbeliever. Like I quoted to you earlier from Romans 16, 17, there are those that you have to take into consideration their behavior and the fact that it does not line up with the Word of God and the doctrine of the Word of God, and you have to avoid them. But, and this is the key point right here to today's teaching, you must not hate. Because if you hate, and if you offend in return, the one that has offended you, then you yourself are going to find that you're blind. You're walking in darkness. Spiritually blind, right? You're walking in darkness. You're not walking in humility. To be great in the kingdom of heaven, that's the question that started this chapter. Then we must consider others as better than ourselves. We must be willing to yield. We must be humble. And we must flee from sin. That's why Jesus taught that teaching about cutting off your hand, right? He's not literally telling us to do that. He's telling His disciples to take sin that seriously in their lives. To teach or to treat, excuse me, sin with swift and harsh judgment, right? Justice, right? We must be careful to not offend. We must look to seek out and to care for the lost souls, to bring them to the kingdom of heaven and to bring them to our King, Jesus. This is the way of true humility, right? And in the kingdom of the Lord, humility is the way to greatness. That's the question that the disciples asked in the beginning of this chapter. How do we get there? So what are we striving for today? We have to look, when we gather like this, Around the Word of God, there's a purpose to it, right? We're not gathering to point fingers at one another or to condemn one another, right? God sent, did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, is, but, but that the world through Him might be saved, John 3.17 says. That's what the Lord wants for us. He wants us growing. He wants us changing. He wants us maturing. There's a life that He has for us, and it is a life of peace. It is a life of joy. 
It is a life of hope, right? But it all starts within us, who we are internally. And this is what Jesus was teaching his disciples here in Matthew 18. And he's telling them, this is the length you you go to, to keep peace with one another. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your holy word. God, I pray for myself and all of us here and all of those watching or listening to this today, Lord, or whenever they'll listen to this, God. I I pray, God, that we would change, Lord, that, that we would look within our own hearts, that I myself, Lord, would look within my own heart and see the areas of my life, Lord, that, that you want cleaned up, Lord, that we would all do that, Lord. Your word is powerful, it's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And even today, as we've read your word, it has cut into us. It has said something to each one of us, Lord. It, it has shown us areas where we lack, Lord, and what we need to do. And I pray, God, that we, Lord, I don't even want to say that you would make it happen, Lord, but that we would make it happen. We would yield our lives all the more, Lord, that we would commit our lives all the more unto you to grow in you, that today we would walk away from this Bible study, Lord, with a heart to change, Lord, with a heart to repent, Lord, for the things in our lives that that need to be so. Let your will be done, Lord. Have your way in our hearts by the working of your Holy Spirit. Again, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.